This week on Merchants of Change, we've got Ryan Baker. Ryan had a great hockey career at Elmira College before starting his sales career at EMC. Ryan is currently the VP of Sales, US East and Canada at Rubrik, where they sell data security solutions to some of the largest companies in the world. Here he is, Ryan Baker. I'm J.R. Butler, co-founder of The Shift Group, and you're listening to Merchants of Change. This is a podcast about transferring the skills and behaviors we acquire as athletes into being a professional technology salesperson. Each week, we'll introduce you to a top performer who will help us understand how they became professional merchants of change. What's up, kid? How we doing, Bakes? How are you, buddy? Thanks for coming on the show, man. I'm, I'm pumped. Today, we got Ryan Baker. Um, so, Ryan, I, I, I know you've listened to a few shows. I'm gonna, it's going to be hard for me to call you Ryan, but I will. Uh, for, uh, so, for context, right, our, our listening audience is really, you know, new sellers and, and people considering a career shift into sales. Obviously, our candidates, athletes, and veterans – uh, but other people are listening in too. And, and, you know, we've been helping a lot of athletes um, kind of transition into sales. So we, we like to get guys like you that, that, you know, had success in sports and then success in sales. And we always like to start at the beginning, which is with the sports career. So this is a very broad question by design. Um, but I want to know, like, if I ask you, what are your favorite memories from hockey? What's like the first things that pop into your head? Oh, it's crazy, man. Good question. Probably, honestly, my favorite memories is uh, as childish as this sounds is skating all day on the rink in my backyard that my old man made me, right? Um, I actually have it in my backyard now. The kids have seen about an hour of total ice on a winter winter we've had in Boston. But uh, honestly, man, going out, shoveling it with the dad, shoveling it with my old man, and then skating all day until my toes froze off and my mom would call me in and doing the same thing at the local ponds. I feel like that's not as frequent as it used to be, but that's honestly my favorite memory as a child in, in all of sports is probably doing that. Yeah, it's it's definitely gone away. It's a lot more, uh, you know, kids are kids are playing for like four teams and they're playing too many games. So that 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 part is like that's the fun right there, man. You hit the nail on the head. Um, so you played at Elmira. Um, when you when you look back at like some of your favorite teammates uh, from from your playing days at Elmira Bakes, like what are what are some of the the traits and characteristics that you think of? You know what was good about going there is I got it was right up near the Canadian border, so I got to make a bunch of really good friends from primarily Canada. There weren't a lot of guys from the states on the team, honestly, but the traits were all very consistent across all of the friendships we built and all the teammates. Right, it was. We're all at a high-end D3 school because, you know, at the time we played, a lot of those guys played D1 probably. They want to be fourth, fifth line, in and out of the lineup guys. No, not really. So it was like the love and passion for what we were there to do. But it was also, we treated it like it was our job, right? You show up day one at college, you're right into dry land and in training camp right away, right? So it was the love, the passion for the sport, the dedication to be really good at it. Because, I mean, you know, Bots, it was, it's a full-time job when you're in school, right? Yeah, you're going to have your fun, but when you're playing a sport and doing the academics, it's the it's the dedication of why we're all there and really wanting to win, right? A national championship is all we talked about from the first day of dry land, and uh, 
that dedication and focus on the goal was was honestly it was it was, it was universal across everybody on the team. It's it, I mean, listen, it's the foundation why so many athletes go on to be successful because of that. You know, there's there's the focus, the discipline, just the time management alone. I don't think people quite realize how hard it is to be an athlete and a student, right? Um, and that and it's so true. I, I'm I'm curious to know, like, other than the fact that you have an NHL shot, what other <laughs> what other character? Like, how would your teammates describe you? You think? Hated the defensive zone. Hated it. <laughs> You did a roadmap in the D zone. Uh, no, uh, I love to play physical. I love to just turn up the tenacity and get get guys going whenever possible. And then uh, I think it was I had an issue with never never quitting. Meaning, like you probably go too hard in practice. Probably you know hit people harder than you should in practice that you don't have to. It's just I don't know. It's it's in my DNA. Um, and then in shooting the puck, I love shooting the puck. But it was yeah. like I hated losing, dude. I still hate losing. We do some of the biggest deals in my region now. The wins are cool for, you know, about a second. But when we lose one, it, like, sits with me. That that frustrates me more than anything. I think the the fear of failure isn't talked about enough that athletes bring to the table. Like, everybody loves to win, right? No, There's not a person in the world that doesn't want to ring the bell. The difference between, like, good and great is, like, the people that absolutely – it keeps them up at night, the thought of not winning. You know what I mean? Well, yeah, it's honestly, I, I think I, I, I talked to uh, some of your team about this earlier and I talked to my team about it. We've we've went from 45 sellers to 76 sellers in the past nine months in my region. Right. So and we're doing that. We're doing that, honestly, for better account coverage, because what we do is very differentiated. But the thing that keeps me up at night is someone spending money with a legacy incumbent or someone other than rubric. And then I, we didn't even we weren't even at the fight. We weren't even in the batter's box taking a swing our account coverage and the reason we're scaling is because there's so much opportunity. And honestly, the, my fear of failure is missing out on deals that we didn't even know were happening. Right. Right. Yeah. That, that pit in your stomach is, I mean, that's why you've, you've had the success you have. What, what is, um, what's your, like, in your opinion, your, your biggest accomplishment that you're most proud of from, from hockey. And then we'll get into, we'll get into the transition stuff. Honestly, the biggest accomplishment hockey wise. And I, and I stress this with my kids is the, family that we're all part of and i know you feel this too it's as again that sounds a little bit corny but like no matter where you go you can run into someone who's a hockey guy or a hockey girl and that translates across my career more than i ever thought it would honestly i got my start at emc in 2004 because my high school hockey coach knew a guy at emc and made an intro most of my best champions in accounts that i've sold into for almost 20 years now there's some tie back to hockey that their kids play or they play. There's something there. So like accomplishment wise, it's not really anything personal. It's really being part of something that's bigger and something that'll last forever. And that network, that network is something that I take a lot of value in because they end up being your best people, people I trust the most. And they're just, you know, overall, it's a, it's a really good family to be part of. So true. I, I remember when I was visiting schools and I was stressing out, my dad goes, JR, it doesn't matter the second you walk on campus, whether it's Fitchburg State or West Point or Holy Cross, you're gonna you're gonna have 23 best friends the second you walk on, and and it, and it so rings true even when you're done. Like that connection is so strong. Um, so so, dude, you're buzzing around the rank at Elmira, um, and you just can't wait to sell technology, right? <laughs> how did you? Uh, 
how did you end up in sales? Were, were, was there other things that you considered? Yeah, I considered going back and being a plumber with my old man. That was honestly the, the number one thing. It was a little bit of that, hey, I should take over what my dad built from the start. You know, and then there's times since then I kick myself because those trades aren't going anywhere and people are making a lot of money. So there's times when I'm like, should I have done that? Um, <laughs> honestly, dude, senior year coming out of Elmira, it was like I had a cup of coffee. I played literally one game in the U-Haul back in the day. I made 75 bucks. I saw guys. There was probably six fights that game. Could you go to training camp? Maybe. Do I want to do that in my life when I'm graduating at 23 years old? I don't know. So I called that hockey coach I, I referred to uh, previously, and he's like, you ever heard of this company, EMC? But I could barely send email and turn on my desktop computer at the time, right? We're talking AOL instant messenger days, dial-up <laughs> modems. I'm dating myself, but like, you know, it wasn't, I, wasn't, I, wasn't, uh, I wasn't bleeding edge um, technically. So didn't know what I was doing. I heard people were making a lot of money. I heard it was a sales job, which I ultimately wanted to try out because I think that's, you know, that was something that always interested me. I was a marketing and management double major in school, so not necessarily sales focused, but really good, uh, really good education there. Went for my interview, and you know they they made the they made the offer for me to start the, the SDR program, which I know you know all about, right? You're essentially dialing for dollars. You're coming yeah. out of school. You're in a you know the deep end of training and enablement, which honestly I really really enjoyed. It's a lot, but you know other than that, you're just cutting your teeth, pounding the phone, setting up meetings. Um, and it was probably the best learning experience ever. But you know, to, to answer your question, no, <laughs> technology sales. I would have sold anything. I, I, I didn't care. I didn't. I just ended up. I got a little bit lucky and fortunate based on some relationships to end up at a great company like EMC. Totally, totally. We all did. And, and, and going back to the hockey thing, right? Like the hockey thing ran pretty deep at EMC too, um, yeah. which, which makes a big difference. Do you feel like? Like, I was the same way, Bakes. I didn't even have a computer when I graduated from Holy Cross. I used to write my, my papers in the computer lab. Um, so when Shep was like, yeah, you're going to sell, like, these huge these huge storage arrays, I was like, what the hell? Like, But but I did feel like there were some things that I brought to the table that, that helped me. Do you feel the same way? Like, when you started the SA program, you feel like you were somewhat prepared with some of your intangibles? I did, and it honestly goes back to that... Uh the meritocracy that sales brings, having a scoreboard and something to shoot for is something that I've always liked. Like, I never wanted to be middle pack of, at the time, they literally tracked every Friday how many appointments you set for your field. If I wasn't top, I was, uh, it would eat me alive, right? And that's the competitive nature when you're in a basically a boiler room type setup of a bunch of people in cubes dialing for their livelihood, all ex-athletes for the most part. It's a fun environment and you always want to be on the top of the leaderboard. So it's like... That set me up, and I think my desire to always try to be top tier in whatever we're doing, that intangible, that, that competitive nature of me definitely definitely helped me get off the ground in sales. Yeah. Was, was Jimmy Mack there back in the day? I worked for Jimmy Mack. Yep. That's, Jimmy Mack in the Philippine. Yep. Yep. That's who we named the podcast after, dude. Um, <laughs> with the, what do you remember about those like first few months at EMC? You were drinking from a fire hose, basically, right? Big time, man. So they had, a, I don't know if you ever ran across this lady, Helen Atkinson. So Helen Atkinson ran, you show up day one, it's what is a host? What is a server? What is a, what is a disc array? What, like, dude, foreign language for me. No idea what they're even talking about. So week over week, we're getting trained on a product. We're getting trained on what it does for our customers. And at the same time, we're trying to make set 25 meetings a week. So it was like week over week, 
it's it was so uncomfortable but that also really really helped right because like i don't believe you can get really good at anything being super comfortable so you know literally studying product and studying all the content helen would give us in to prepare for a fireside chat on Friday, where again, the fear of losing and more of the fear of embarrassment, standing up in front of my peers and looking like a clown, that would like, it, it would stress me out. So you'd be forced to get really good at it and forced to put in the time. And, you know, so the first six months was like that, dude. It was six months of pure uncomfortableness, which looking back, I'm glad I did it. 100%. 100%. You, you, you don't get good unless you're uncomfortable. So that's, that's what it's all about. Um, like I, I look back, there's definitely like there's things that I would probably change about my first year or two in, in my career. Like what are what are what are things that you would do over, you think, when you look back? Early in my career, it would uh <clears throat> I think I would ask for more real world situational stuff. Meaning we go when I did it, right, oh six I went to the field of the EMC. Main kid working in Boston, I go in front of John Hanlon. I didn't, wasn't married, didn't have any kids. He shipped me to Southern California. So I was like, all right. So I show up on the ground with basically, dude, I'm talking Google Maps, again, dating myself, printing them out every morning, going on as many sales calls as possible. I think I know what I'm doing. I don't know anything. I've never been on a sale, a real sales call before. So like being a shadow and sitting in on what good looks like and figuring what the best people do and tying myself to a field mentor um, I would have done that. That would be the one thing I would do over again is I would tie myself to someone who would give me the time of day that I could learn from and make it a, a, a habitual thing every week, every month, whatever I could do just to, just to learn from what they're doing. That would have really helped me kind of, you know, expedite my learning curve once I was actually in the field. Yeah. And, and I think like, I, I think I take that for granted having started at a smaller company and having like Lanigan, Hallie Bliss, Kevin Laughlin, Shep. And, and, and the other thing is you, you don't just learn good habits. You also learn like bad habits and you're like, and, and if you're smart and you're self-aware, you recognize like they do this really well, but they don't do this really well. I'm going to, I'm going to take them kind of both lessons away from that person. That's, a, that's good advice for our listeners is grab, find a high, find a high achiever, grab them and, and, and build a relationship with them. So good. Um, I, I'm curious to get your take on this, Biggs, because you went through the EMC program. We've had a ton of folks on here. Um, obviously, for us, um, we work with a lot of you know venture-backed, fast-growth software companies that are earlier stage. We do work with some big companies too, and we get a lot of kids that kind of come in and they're thinking, you know, big company versus small company. They're also thinking about like you know, and I, and I fight them on this, but they're like, well, this base is 5k higher, and I'm like. That doesn't matter, right? Like, but but there are things that do matter. So, like, if you were working with one of our kids, thinking about going into sales, how are you advising them on like how to select a company? You think? Yeah, good if question. You can't hire my rubric. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, send me the good ones. I'm always hiring. Um, <laughs> the biggest thing that I would learn was really we talked a little bit about it at EMC and some of the enablement and development. That I cannot stress enough. Like. Going to somewhere where they're not just going to give you a manual, give you some videos, and then, hey, good luck. You really want to be enabled, right? Like Rubric, we are a development and enablement culture by design, right? Like we have people running our transformation team and our enablement team, a guy by the name of JP Poland, who he carried a bag. He not only a rep, he was a VP of sales, very successful, but he's lived in our lived in our day-to-day world. So Having a team dedicated to making you better, especially when you're young in your career or new to sales, that cannot be overlooked. 
right? A dedicated regimented program that's going to make you good. It's the work, right? It's, it's putting in that grassroots effort to get good at your craft that will make you good long term. If you walk into a company and that's not a core part of what they're doing or what they care about with employees, I wouldn't even look at them, right? Five grand in salary over the, that's a, that's nothing, right? I would care really about the founding team. Do they have a proven record of developing people throughout their sales in other areas? And then, all right, what does that transformation enablement team look like? How, who is it? Who's it made up of? What's it look like week over week, month over month? That is so, so important when you're early in your career. And, and throughout, dude, honestly, it's still core to everything we do every single week here at Rubric. It does not stop. Well, I mean, that's the beauty of the, the industry we chose too. Like the, this thing is, this thing is changing. This thing is changing every single day, right? Like, I mean, Rubric is a phenomenal example of a company that's completely transformed the, the, their go-to-market and the products that they're selling and how they're positioning them. And you guys are a huge company, right? Like that. So, so if a huge company needs to be able to pivot quickly, you certainly do too, as an individual. You know what I mean? Totally. Um, I mean, I came here, 2017, dude. We were in a rock fight selling backup. Backup is the least sexy thing that nobody wants to talk about. It's critical to every company that's worth anything, right? All their critical assets need to be packed up. Our messaging now, yeah, data protection is core to what we do, but it's really about securing the data. The data is all that matters, but our product has evolved. And to your point, the days of getting a product training every Tuesday on, hey, here's the newer, newer, bigger, faster disk drive that's coming out. Software is developing too quickly to even care about that stuff. You got to develop a core process and way to sell and then learn the technology, right? If that process and foundation is strong, you can sell anything as your product continues to uh, get better. Yeah, yeah. We, we, we don't talk a lot about process on here, but I do think it's so important, right? It's just like it's just like sports and like you, you need a playbook, right? Because you can't, if you do, you know, God forbid you lose a deal, you need to be able to look at a deal and go, well, here's what we did. You know, we zigged when we should have zagged. We, we didn't do this thing that we say we're going to do in our process. So. I'm really glad you brought brought that point up. Um, for our audience, this is kind of a little nugget for them. Uh, what are what are like? What's your favorite interview question, Bakes, that you ask new, new hires? My favorite one, honestly, is you know, walk me through a situation where you failed, whether it's in personal life. I interview a lot of people that are coming from a lot of different companies right now, right? Yeah. So uh, we're interviewing and hiring. I kind of referenced it before. I want to know where people failed, and then how do they respond? Because much as people don't want to hear it, you're not going to be great at everything. You're not going to win every single deal, right? And we see a lot of people in our industry and in, in general, and I'm, the thing I harp on with my kids a lot, you're going to a lot more from losing. So I want to know what someone, did they, did they lose a deal? Was there a sports failure? I want to know everything about how they overcame a negative situation instead of beating their chest about the positive one. That's a, that's a telltale for me. I want to know how people overcome things. I love that because it's also, by the way, a really good way to figure out if someone's accountable because if they're, if they're playing the victim in the story, right, the product sucked, um, you know, my SE sucked, you know, the you know, whatever, like they're blaming the ice. It's like, hey, we're all playing on the same ice. So that's an awesome question to really figure out and dig in on someone. Um, it's um, 2023 is going to be, it's going to be tough. I, you know, it's, it's just a harder, it's a harder ecosystem, a harder market. Um, what do you think, what do you think is going to make the cream rise to the top this year for the skill on the skill side of selling? Like the things that people are, can get, can practice and get good at. 
Yeah, dude, this is uh this is what we talk about every single week. I just hung up from my leadership call right before this call, dude. It's the skill side of things is having a point of view and doing some homework prior than for a sales call, right? Our sellers and or our our prospects and our targets we are going after, they get called from 50 people a day, right? So taking your craft seriously, becoming a true professional in not only yeah, your pitch is one thing, but what is the value we bring to our clients and differentiating early, having that skill and putting in the time to let a customer know that, hey, I did a lot of research on your business. Here's what I learned from your 10K. Here's what I know what your industry is doing. And going in with some kind of really good point of view that they can hopefully in a, in a best situation, but they correct you. It, it spurs on really good dialogue. But what, if you accomplish the fact that you put in some work, this meeting's important to them, that skill is something that will translate into you know, the next call and the next call after that, right? So it's really, dude, it's, it's grunt work. People tend to, hey, I got a first call. I'm going to show up on a first call pitch and just vomit what Rubric does. No one will be successful that way. My sellers are taught to go in and look, have a point of view on what the company does, what their industry does, solicit hopefully a very good dialogue. And if, if it takes us 20 sales calls to do a deal, I'm okay with that as long as it's a meaningful deal. Because in this economy, dude, we're not going to do a deal that's a nice to have. You've got to tie yourself to a business problem. And that all starts with that first call and being prepared. Yes. The business problem. Like, and you don't know the business problem unless you know the business. And it's, and it's, and this is like a really good talk track because, you know, we talked about like first you, when you first start, it's like you're learning so much about your company and like the industry and like what the products do. But like once you get settled into the career, your job is not, is, is actually to become a, 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 an expert in your customer's business more so than your own, right? Like, and that's what you're talking about, that research and like having a point of view because you've done, you've earned the right to have a point of view because you've done the work. Um, we met originally based when you, you were, I believe that you were an individual contributor, our, our friends, uh, our friends out in, uh, who I still talk to all the time, speaking of hockey, right? My guy, Pinkham. Um, <laughs> uh, and I, I, I guess like on the sales leadership side, you know, I, I, I knew when I met you that you were going to be a high flyer, but like, what are, what are some of the traits that like the, the great sales leaders that you've worked for um, have like that, that they all share? Biggest thing here, dude, and, and I, do, I, I experienced it a little bit in my previous company, but since I've been at Rubrik now, the, the thing that sticks out to me from my CEO, Bipple, you know, my CRO, Brian, all the way through the stack, dude, we have a very flat, there's no pecking order here. But the biggest trait, dude, is that transparency, whether it's really, really good or really, really bad. Transparency is so critical in any company that anyone who you're talking to is going to go work for, right? Because if you're not transparent, if you don't communicate well, and you're not on the up and up with all relevant updates, good or bad or indifferent, it's if you if you don't overly, if you aren't overly transparent, people tend to make their own narrative. That narrative is usually a negative narrative, right? So if you are very transparent with, hey, the macroeconomic situation, there's a whole political landscape going on now. People aren't ignorant of this. They know what's going on. You got to translate into, hey, here's the headwinds we're going to face as a company. Hey, here's also the tailwinds, right? Because there's a lot of well-funded bad guys, right? Bad guys right now attacking every organization regardless of size. So for my organization, that's a very good thing to be going on in the world, as nasty as that sounds. Is it going to be easy? No. You're going to have to get really good at financial selling, really good at financial modeling, tying to that business problem. 
But that transparency of all things that go into your day-to-day, whether you're an IC, first, second, third line, it doesn't matter your title, um, that is so critical. And that's one thing I really enjoy about this place is I can text my CEO. I texted with him last night. I have a question. There's no there's no sugarcoating. He'll shoot me straight. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know Bipple, but I know Brian really well. And, and he is, that's how, that's his like, that's his operating cadence. Like he just, he, he tells you how it is, which is guys like me and you, uh, the way we grew up, that's super important, right? Like we don't want, we don't want any frosting on it. Just give it to us. Well, dude, um, people aren't stupid, right? Like right. people know if you're getting sold a bag of goods, like yeah. punch me in the mouth. If I'm not doing something good, tell me. If I'm doing something great, tell me, tell me how I can get better. It's, there's no, people aren't stupid. The world's just, you know, you gotta, you gotta shoot it straight, good or bad. Yeah. Um, going back to like that early career where you wish you kind of found a mentor, I'm sure you eventually did like find some folks that had a huge impact on you. Um, who's one you would highlight and like, and what did you learn from that person? Well, there's a couple that I really, I still talk to on a regular basis. One that, one that sticks out to me, and honestly, I, I'll, I bring him up is, is Gary Halloran. I think you know Gary Halloran. Right? Very well. Uh, yep. I almost went to work for Gary when I was in the doldrums of SDR land, cold calling and wanted to blow my brains out every single day, right? Like, do I go be a plumber? What the hell am I doing here? Like, every thought's going through my head at the time, six months out of college. Um, didn't go work for Gary at the time, but since then, he's always checked in. He's... I respect the heck out of him because he started businesses. Every customer he's ever dealt with still has a very high respect level for Gary because, again, his, he's transparent. He always did what's right by the customer. And then the reason I mentioned him is like when I, when I was leaving EMC to come here, that was not a small decision for me. Right? I got four kids, very risk adverse, right? and I saw a really good opportunity here. And he was the first call I made, and he put things in, into perspective with me on – Hey, I can stay down this path and here'd be all the good things. Here are some things to consider. Um, or I could take this new opportunity. And he kind of gave it to me unfiltered, good and bad, helped me weigh out the pros and cons. And I took a lot of what he said to heart. And it was a big reason why I did come over here. And it was, you know, one of the best decisions ever. But he had so much more experience and history across technology. I really valued his opinion. And I knew he would give it to me straight. There was no, there was no agenda to keep me where I was. It was like, hey, if I'm you. Here's your family situation. Here's your career situation. Here's the ups and downs. And, uh, you know, I bounced it off him, and that was that was so key. Yep, yep. And I think it's safe to say you definitely made the right decision. Um, and I think a lot of it, you, I think we, we share a trait in common, Bakes, that we love. I love building teams. You love building teams. Um, you know, you, you, you got an opportunity to build out a kick-ass team in, in the Northeast at Rubric. How do, you, how do you, like, what's your approach to building – a great sales team. Like what, like what are some of the things that you, you try to do? I try to keep it very simple. First of all, right. It's like, uh, I have an a hole policy. I won't say it cause we're on a podcast, but like that is the <laughs> culture to me is honestly the most important thing because working in a toxic culture, not liking who you work with, not trusting who you work with, that just spirals out of control very quickly. Right. And it's when I'm looking at individuals and building people, I want people with similar background, right? Like I, I know, what Shift is doing is such an important aspect for so many people, both military backgrounds and athletes, because dude, the first thing I look for on a resume when I get it is I go right to, were they an athlete? And again, that could be my simplified brain working the way it does. But going back to what we started this conversation with is like, I want to build a team around people with 
are self-motivated. I call it, you got to have a motor, right? You got to have your own motor. I don't need to be kicking you in the butt every day to get up and EG, find a way into meetings. If I have to do that, we made a bad hire and that costs my company money. Um, so it's like when I'm building a team, I want people of similar, similar backgrounds where applicable, self-driven, self-motivated. And then, you know, the coachability and going back to that um, willingness to learn. I've seen and I've hired people. I've made bad hires where we try to insert our process or teach them and it goes right back to their ways because it worked wherever they were. Those people inevitably don't make it, right? So the coachability aspect to try what we're teaching them, put it into play, uh, embrace what we're trying to do. That is so important to our culture, right? Like check your ego at the door, be coachable and don't be an asshole. Really that simple. It is. It really is. And and, and listen, there was... There was a time, I think, you know, for a short period of time where like, you know, uh, leaders that said, well, I I only want to hire athletes and athletes kind of got this bad rap, like immediately tied to like, oh, if it's an athlete, it's a bro, right? Like thinking of like frat people and it's like, no, 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 right? 50% of NCAA athletes are females. You start looking at like football and basketball. These are sports that are made up of a majority of people with diverse backgrounds, actually. So that, that I think that we've gotten over that hump, uh, but there is a, there's a certain thing when somebody understands what it means to play for the name on the front of their Jersey and not the back of their Jersey, that makes a huge difference when they care about the person sitting next to them. Um, that like it, it organically creates a really good culture. And, and, and I know the people you've hired and I know you, you've built that culture out and it's awesome. Um, well, I also know too, but it's like those people have lost at some point in their life. They have faced adversity. They've been cut from a team. They lost a big game. There was some kind of down point in their career. It's inevitable, right? And that yeah. is so important right now because the grass isn't always greener. A lot of people get impatient because, oh, I lost a deal or my territory changed. I'm going to go look somewhere else and jump. They've never faced that adversity. You're going to face adversity in sales. If not, you wouldn't get paid as well as you do. Right. Yeah. You got to be able to take a loss on the chin, dust yourself off, and go find the next opportunity. Most athletes, all athletes, I will say, have felt that some point in their career. Yep. 100%. 100%. Even, even Bobby Butler has lost games and got cut from. I don't think he's got cut from teams, but. <laughs> he probably, probably hasn't got cut. <laughs> all right, dude. Last two questions. I'm excited to hear your answer on both of them. But we always ask everybody, like, what is, what is the one skill? That makes you elite as a salesperson, would you say? As a salesperson, I think it's uh, it's going back to that relentless relentlessness that I expect every one of our sellers to have. And more importantly, being relentless to the point where you know when to walk away. And what I mean by that is I we harp on our sales teams here that, yeah, we can go play in any customer right now based on where our product has evolved. That does not mean we are fit in every single customer. Yeah. Timing's not right. You got to have enough common sense and you got to have enough respect for your time to walk away or qualify out, right? So you got to have enough EQ to read a situation, read an account where you don't go score to so you never get in that bat when the timing's right. The timing's not always going to be right. The pain's not always going to be great enough to fund, especially in this market we're funding today. Um, so you got to have enough intelligence to fight another day. Yeah. So it's like, be relentless. Be on a dog on a bone with every opportunity until you know there's no meat on that bone. Yep. Respectfully bow out. 
customers, I've never met a customer when we've bowed out or qualified out that, hey, I don't think we're a fit right now. I've never had a customer get mad at me. I've actually, I've had customers, I've actually had customers lean in on that because they want to know why they're not a fit. Right. So again, it's, it's the intelligence and having the self-respect to respect your time as a seller is there's nothing but opportunity out there in this market right now. Yeah. Wasting time in the wrong places is detriment and you're doing yourself a disservice and you're doing your company a disservice. That time yeah. management aspect, dude, of being an athlete again, spend your time effectively, maximize your time, but don't waste any time. So the way I the way I'd summarize like your elite skill is ver- voracious qualification in or out. That's kind of what what I'm hearing. And 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 uh, by the way, I think that is literally the most important skill you can have. And and and, and it's also like if you're in if you're in an account, you're maybe you're at not at the right level, and you know that it's a fit, and you know you can drive a ton of value. It's being relentless to say. Hey, just because you're saying no to me doesn't mean that it, it's a no. Like, I, I think this is a good fit for your organization. And I'm going to find out the person that needs to understand the value that we can bring too, right? So I love that. Um, the, other, too, the other thing I would just piggyback on that that I think, you know, some of your some of your younger audience needs to know is like, be a resource hog. Meaning you're young in your career. There's a lot of people probably at your disposal that have been there, done that. I want, boil back to what I do every day, I want all my executive team and all my best technical assets on all my biggest deals. And I want them helping every single rep on my team because if we're not using them, someone else is. So again, be a resource hog. That's a tool in your tool chest. So go use that. That is a skill I've all, dude, I will use everybody. I will take Bipple and Brian's entire calendar if I was allowed to. Right. All you're going to do is learn from them. Every time I hear Bipple talk or Brian talk, I take a tidbit, I add it into my repertoire and I'll I'll regurgitate that in the next conversation, right? Like you learn from these people. So constantly learning and listening to people that are better than you or have more history than you, there's no downside in that. Yep. Yep. Would you say so the the last question we ask is is usually, you know, I I'm I'm a big believer in professionalism, right? Like I struggled initially in my career because I was angry about hockey being over. You know, I had brother played in the NHL. And the epiphany that kind of saved my life was just because I'm not a pro hockey player doesn't mean I'm not a pro. I am a, I am a pro sales professional. Like I, this is what I'm going to be elite at. So what do you think, what does being a pro in sales mean to you? Is it, is it some of that stuff you just talked about? Yeah, I do. I think it's pretty simple, honestly. And the way I look at it is being a pro in my craft or any craft you're doing is like take the work very seriously and take pride in being the best you could possibly be. I don't care if I'm hooking up a sink, working for my own man, I want to be the best plumber. I don't care if I'm selling software, I want to be the best software salesperson. But you're not going to get you're not going to get to that level if you don't take pride in it, you don't practice, and you're not always learning, right? And then we already hit on this a couple of times, dude. Like being a pro to me is getting out of bed excited to do what you do. I don't need someone to kick me in the butt. I don't need someone to say, hey, you know, time to get up. Let's have a good day today. I got to go make money for my giant family, right? I got six people under my roof. I'm (laughs) self-motivated because I'm providing for my family, right? And if you don't have that, no one's ever going to light that fire if you can't light it yourself, right? So you got to be willing and eager to be the best at something. And then when you want to be the best at something, it doesn't just come. You got to practice, practice, practice. Right, put in the reps. It all comes down to practice and listening to other people. A hundred percent, dude. Ryan, thank you so much for joining, buddy. This was awesome. Really appreciate it, pal. Thank you. 
You got it, man. That was a lot of fun, but keep catching up, dude. This wraps up this episode of Merchants of Change. If you enjoyed this episode, the most meaningful way to say thanks is to submit a review wherever you listen to podcasts. If you're interested in working with us, please come find us at www.shiftgroup.io.